0: Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. Today's episode is a special one that I've chosen to call COVID and the Apocalypse. Or as the title that you saw when you clicked on this episode, as it seems to indicate COVID and the Apocalypse. And there's a lot of discussion going on today in our world as a result of the coronavirus there are a handful of helpful things that have been written for Christians to help them navigate this world. There's, of course, a lot of unhelpful things that have been written and some unhelpful things that are being said and some unhelpful things that are being believed um, by some who are Christians and some who are not. And so I have a fantastic friend. Many of you have interacted with him before. He was the helpful voice um, on our very first Q&A podcast way back at the beginning of this Um, This show and his name is Corey and Corey is a very thoughtful um, friend of mine who always knows how to ask good questions. And so we decided, you know what, what if we tied together some of the themes that we've been talking about on the podcast to some of these ideas that have been circulating in the news, circulating on people's Facebook feeds and may keep you up at night thinking about what's on the global scene and how Jesus wants us to um, not only think about apocalyptic things but how also we might choose to faithfully represent him in a world that is sure um, beginning to think about a lot of new thoughts um, with the coronavirus. And so I've asked Corey to be on the podcast and we have a conversation and I'm just excited to share it with you. Again, Corey's really thoughtful and he asks some great questions and then we just talk. So some of this was thought through beforehand. Some of this I'm hearing on the spot and that's great. And I just want to invite you in. And um, hopefully you will be encouraged by the things that we talk about today. So let's just jump right into it. Well, as I shared in our introduction, I'm really excited to have my friend Corey with me. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast just so we can talk.
1: Yeah, Josh, it's so great to be here. And uh, I not only am a good friend, but I'm also uh, an eager listener of the podcast. And so I'm excited cause I've had a lot of questions in my mind and, uh, I've, I've encountered a bunch of people asking weird questions, uh, or not, maybe not weird questions, but saying weird things and asking questions. And I'm like, man, I've got to talk to Josh about these things. So I'm glad we can kind of share this conversation with everybody.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited too. Um, I know we've talked about doing this for several weeks and it, it finally seems like a time that works for both of us. So, um, yeah, man. Just what are some of the things you're thinking? Um, what do you, you kind of have a good pulse on? What lots of people in our society are, are kind of pondering, and um, shoot, let's have a conversation about it. So, what do you got?
1: Well, obviously, these are strange, interesting, um, unique, unprecedented times in terms of the response to COVID-19. Now, as we record this, we're getting past the middle of May, and we're finally starting to feel some of the freedoms open back up. We're seeing some of the restrictions uh, come off, but you know, a month ago this time, it was people were kind of crazy, and the the world was crazy. And you saw, you actually saw not only just all the typical reactions, but um, I I interestingly heard of and saw a couple different articles. People were saying things like you know, COVID-19, is this the apocalypse? And then you combine this with legitimate locust plagues in Africa. And, you know, and there's always like, oh, then an earthquake happens, and then a tornado happens, and people grab three or four issues from current events that are directly mentioned or roughly named. You know, global plague, locust plague, illness. Is this the apocalypse? And so... I guess that's a that's maybe how we could start is when we see things like that happen in the world that also appear to definitely be mentioned maybe even mentioned by name in the book of Revelation is that are we supposed to take a look at this and directly you know take a look at these global events and then take a look at the book of Revelation and go ha this is happening so maybe you could just respond to that that impulse that we see in culture
0: Sure. Um, Yeah, that's a real I'm so glad you asked that question. And yet I I have to be honest, that's a loaded, that's a loaded question. And I think depending on who's asking it, um, you know, they may be satisfied with some answers and not satisfied with others. But maybe we can get to the to the bottom of some of that. Um, From my understanding, I think maybe a way to start is particularly when catastrophic uh, type events happen in the world, I don't know how the rest of the world defines this term, but typically in America we define the word apocalypse um, as something that's like end of the world ish. Um, it's catastrophic, or it's global, or it's something we've never seen before, and um, that's generally how we make movies. You know, if we've got the oh, that's the post-apocalyptic movie, you know, and, and what that means is the world as we know it has come to an end, and right. you know, gas prices are six dollars and it's you know the Book of Eli stuff um, and anyway, um, but it's interesting because the word apocalypse is actually what's called a transliteration of a Greek word apokalypso and in English we just bring it right over and switch the letters around to make it readable in English. But the word itself just means to reveal, um, to uncover things that were once hidden that are now being made manifest. And so um, the Book of Revelation gets the most attention. Um, because it is called the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. But um, that word is actually used in other places in the, in the Bible. And I just want to start with a couple of them. And, and I, I recently listened to the Bible Project podcast, um, which is one of my favorites. And so this I'm getting straight from them. They've done a little research here and have been helpful. Um, but when Jesus Jesus is going around healing and teaching and he's encouraging his disciples To do the same and of course he always receives pushback from the pharisees as you know if you're familiar with the gospels and in matthew chapter 11 they're upset because john doesn't fit their descriptions of a guy who's you know fasting all the time and then jesus doesn't fit their descriptions of somebody sent from god because he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners and he criticizes these people for not having eyes to see um, and then he says in Matthew 11, verse 25, he says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Um, now, that word revealed them is the word ap- apocalypse, apocalypsis. It's the word to uncover something that was hidden but is now being made known. And then he goes on to several verses later and he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him so anyone to whom the son chooses to make known the father to them so to reveal so in other words we know in the gospel that you have a many people have an image of god in their minds And Jesus is saying, you you may not know who he is really until you see him revealed. And Jesus is saying, you see him revealed in me. And so in the, the Bible itself, we have an actual illustration of a time when Jesus did make himself known or revealed himself to someone. And it's actually who we know as the Apostle Paul. And so let me just read a brief time when Paul's explaining to the Galatian Christians um, what it was like when he met Jesus. So he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my own people. This is Galatians chapter one. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So he he says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. And if you know anything about Paul, Paul was a person of the scriptures. Paul knew the, the Bible inside and out. He had a vision of who he thought God was and who he thought God wanted him to be. And both, despite all of his Bible knowledge, both who he thought God to be and who Paul thought God wanted him to be as a result both were completely wrong based upon his knowledge of the bible now that's a that's an awkward thing to say but it's the true thing and the bible itself encourages us to believe that such a thing is possible that you can know the bible inside and out think you're worshiping the real god and in fact not know him at all so jesus reveals himself to paul or who he, is saul at the time and we know the story he's his, he goes blind for several days, is led into the city, is then has his eyes opened, and is, is shown by Jesus himself exactly what he will endure for Jesus' name's sake to, to the nations. But a few verses even before this, in, in Galatians 1 again, Paul says, I, I did not receive this gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that phrase revelation of Jesus Christ is actually the same exact phrase used at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, so what apocalypse in both ter- in both terms. Apocalypse in both passages. Huh. Yeah. Now the one is a noun and one is an adjective or or a, a participle. He's talking about having been revealed whereas revelation is stating factually this is the revelation of jesus christ but so when we read that book though and i say we i I mean i would say general people in the west and more specifically for the purposes of this podcast oftentimes even christians read that and we think oh this is automatically going to be about some futuristic events that no one including john had ever seen before and, I, I, and we could go into a lengthy discussion, I guess, about you know our evangelical culture in this country and why it is maybe that we tend to think futuristically all the time when we read things like apocalypses. But let's stop for just a second. When we say it means to reveal, what it means is something was hidden that was not available to the average person's eyes. And... Your eyes are being uncovered. Um, you are now able to see things clearly, or to see things as they really are. And nothing about Paul's revelation of Jesus Christ, and nothing about Jesus's promise um, that the Father has revealed Himself to the world in Jesus. None of those things were futuristic at all. In fact, they were very, very present at the time he was doing an action to someone, and so. Um, There are times in Revelation where we need to think future, um, but predominantly we're not. Um, The book itself claims to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we're not just talking about a handful of things that we think Jesus said about the future, or a handful of things that we think the Old Testament says about the future that Jesus is now telling people about. This isn't a book where he's telling people a lot. Um, John is being shown things. And if we take the idea of apocalypse in mind, what John is being shown is Jesus Christ. And he's being shown a view of the world, a view of reality that most people in their day-to-day life cannot see. It's the same view of reality that Jesus exposed for people in the time when he walked the earth who did who thought they knew God or believed they were going to be rejected by God if they saw him. Jesus m- made manifest the fact that there are people whose lives are under tremendous oppression, and those people are not guilty of breaking God's law and therefore being punished for their sins. Jesus ac- acknowledges that the, the, the enemy of our souls has a vested interest in destroying people's lives. That's not something you and I can see necessarily on a day-to-day basis unless Jesus gives us eyes to see it. And so the book of Revelation is a revealing of Jesus, who he is, what he has come to do, what it means to follow him, and what the world actually looks like, who both can't decide whether it wants to follow him (laughs) Or is very eager to do so, and yeah. of course, without taking a, a month to walk through all the steps, I mean that that has to be our starting point. And it 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 saddens me, honestly, Corey, how quickly people jettison the what about this is about Jesus and go right back to oh oh here we go here's the end here's something that's coming what what's it going to be what's it going to look like and then all of the the theories and the um. <laughs> Imposing different things start, start taking over, and yeah. Jesus just gets shoved to the back. Oh man,
1: let me let me see if I if I understand that correctly. Because of the way the word apocalypse is used, um, a revealing. Paul says there's there's a revealing of Christ. John says this is the revelation of the Son of God. So revelation is about. Jesus and Jesus' followers. It it is not, in a sense, saying, "Hey, here's a revelation in terms of prophecy, a a prediction per se." Um, but it is saying, "This is about Jesus and about those who follow him." Uh, I mean, we've talked, uh, and maybe we should come back to this about like apocalyptic and the way imagery and language is used. Okay, so if it's about Jesus, just tell us like can we put it in prose or put it in poetry. What is this stuff in the middle here? Um but um it, is that did I, did I kind of get that right where um the the revelation the whole book and John tells us this is it's it's about
0: Jesus. Yeah.
1: It, no, we're not you did
0: get to be, you know, newspaper in on one hand, Bible in the other kind of thing right no you did get that right and you you actually used a couple terms which i think are really helpful for this discussion but you said you know is a prophecy and is this about a prediction of series of events and and maybe corey you've really touched on one of the problems with with that and that is that prophecy is almost always just like the word apocalypse in our culture but prophecy is almost always thought about as um predictions of the future um, but sadly, prophecy is, is a concept that runs all through the Old Testament. And while I don't have an exact statistical number in front of me, um, my understanding of, of Scripture, especially in the prophets, which funny is what we call prophecy, but the vast majority of what they did, I would say 80 to 90 percent of what they actually said was not predictions of the future. It was a call to return to the terms of the covenant.
1: That's exactly correct. I've heard somebody say that the the language that prophecy is not foretelling, it is is forth-telling. Yes, and so it's not a bunch of little like grab bag marbles of like, okay, one day you know when it, the rain is it, going to happen and you're going to have a bumper crop or something, and then uh, also by the way Jesus is coming. But that's right. By and large, right. it is. It is. It was word to his people. You know, hey, return. <laughs> that's good.
0: Yeah. And so in, in Revelation, toward the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, John says that, that for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what I think John means is that if if prophecy was always the prophets were calling people to return to the terms of the covenant, well, in the New Testament, we call our Bibles the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. What we're actually saying is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so the terms of the new covenant are what? They are the son of God became, you know, took on flesh, became one of us um, to, in order to bear our sins and put them to death on a cross and for God to raise him up from the dead three days later and to grant life to all who place faith in him and who choose to follow him. So the terms of the covenant are Jesus fully reveals the father to the world. The world hates him for it and puts him to death. And that death, in a strange way, um, has offered, um, you know, satisfaction for the sins of the world and has literally put sin to death and put death to death Um, without going into all the details of how that works. That's generally what's happening. And so the book of Revelation is calling us to return to that. And what's so sad is we keep not returning to that. We keep saying, "Okay, got that good." Now Let's look about the future. Let's see what's going to happen in the future. And the whole time, John is pleading with people, "Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't look ahead of this." Um, and, and I think what's problematic again, and and I I have my own little phrases for this, but I, it's it's kind of like um, catapult theology is what I call it. Um, and it, what I mean by that is we tend to read the old Testament with its talk about locust plagues or something like that. I know locust shows up in revelation too, but, um, and we tend to almost imagine that they were not only predictions of the future for them, but that we sort of launch catapult right over Jesus and the gospel narratives to some futuristic point yet for our own time As if what the Bible was doing was making these one to one promises or predictions of the future that we are now privileged, you know, wow, thank you, God, for this, but we are now privileged to be the recipients of these actions in our own time. But sadly, Jesus, who the Bible says is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God that he makes to his people and to the world, sadly, we jump right past Jesus. Not only to see what Jesus said and how Jesus again fulfilled these very specific predictions, right? Like he was born of a virgin or he was born in Bethlehem, but we don't look at how Jesus himself actually fulfilled many of those promises of the Old Testament. Promises that looked toward judgment, promises that talked of blessing, promises that talked of a rebuilt temple promises that talked of the Lord gathering his people, promises of a shepherd who was going to nurture his sheep. All of these images that the Old Testament uses are all wrapped up in Jesus's life, and he redefines many of them and shows even his own followers that these were never supposed to be one-to-one predictions of the future, that these are embodied in me as a person. And now John is revealing to us what it would look like to follow this person and know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the word for testimony is just to, to be a witness. And that's in fact, what the church has been called to be. We are supposed to be witnesses to Jesus. And in so doing the book of revelation can be a prophetic book and an apocalyptic book and a letter, which John tells us it is. It's a letter written to churches. Um, that sadly, when most people interpret Revelation, they somehow think that those churches are no longer present for the vast majority of the book. Which maybe that's a separate discussion. But um, anyway, no, that's, that's, now that's, that's, my that's thought thought there. very
1: that's very interesting. At the end, you you said that Revelation is is a letter, it is apocalyptic, and um, and a prophecy. Is that was that the three? I think that's that is hard to keep in our mind, to keep those three things, uh, to hold those three things together. And I'm I'm curious, and this this might be a little bit more of like a history of interpretation thing, um, but where, you know, there's okay. So also, this is a bit of an intramural debate. This is stuff that you know Christians could. Be Christians and disagree about and you know whatever. I, I love it. I, I read it this way and I read it that way, which is which is good, you know, praise right, the Lord. But um, w- where did we begin to get the idea that somewhere after chapter three, this is all uh, capital T? tribulation kind of stuff well i think first of all i think i'm representing that view correctly um but all this stuff is futuristic and so you could i legitimately i remember as a kid growing up hearing somebody teach about the locust i mean we mentioned locust because of africa and because you recently had an episode on it and they were like well the locust you know it's giant it's wings it's stinging it's stinging is in the power of the tail and Kind of floated it out there as like a what if maybe just maybe this is an Apache helicopter or something, <laughs> which is like wow. you know they are scary yeah. looking and sometimes they have teeth drawn on them and stuff, but um, but um, yeah, I guess where where we're, we're, when did we begin to say, um, oh well, this these are all little symbols for things that are in the future, so uh, you know. Ancient readers could not have possibly understood when they said locust because, uh, you know, John was just doing his best to describe an Apache helicopter. That's the actual image that he saw. Uh, where did we start to get those ideas coming from?
0: You know what I love about you, Corey, is you always ask questions that I don't have a clue how to answer. So um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you for that, actually. Um, the truth is, I actually don't know. Um, I don't know the history of interpretation well enough. I'm familiar with the view you just described. I also grew up with it. Um, I can offer what I think are some factors that lead to that, but I I don't know the history. Um, uh, one, One factor that I think leads to it is a very, very strong view that what Jesus means when he's talking about preparing a house um you know in my father's house are many rooms um in john 14 he talks about i'm going away to prepare a place for you and the general response to most people that read that passage today is that jesus is talking about going to heaven um and it's interesting because the words my father's house are are used multiple times on the lips of jesus himself and they never mean heaven they always mean the temple um and so what's interesting about what god is coming to do the good news the hope is not that God is going to whisk Christians away to heaven and yank them out of this God-forsaken earth place. The good news and the hope of the gospel is that God himself is going to come into this God-forsaken place and he's going to make it not God-forsaken and he's going to restore it and then he's going to dwell here forever with us. That's actually the story of, of the gospel, which sadly isn't believed by many still in this, in this time. And so when you have the idea that, that, that God's best for you is to whisk you away from all difficulty instead of how I read most of the scriptures, which seem to indicate that he simply comes to you in the midst of your difficulty and promises to be with you in that, which I think is the incarnation of Jesus. Then you start to think, okay, well, when the Bible starts describing horrific, horrible things, God doesn't want me to have to endure that. So there's got to be an explanation for why I'm not going to be there when all that terrible stuff happens. And again, I may be making a caricature and that's not my intention. The way I grew up hearing it was that that would be God's heart. He would want to remove the Christians before the bad stuff happened because he loves us. And my question to that would be, what did God do when the bad stuff was happening in this world? He came into it with us. You know, when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter three, the Lord didn't whisk them out of the fire. He showed up in the fire with the three of them. Um, it's it's it was their faithful witness to Him, and it's the same call that the members in Revelation are are exhorted to. And so I I know it's a system called dispensationalism, and I know it it has a belief that. God's plans for Israel as an ethnic nation are not finished, and he's going to deal with his church now. He's going to remove his church from the world, and then he'll focus his attention back on his ethnic people while these terrible events are unfolding. Um, It is a system, and I've attempted to discuss it with some people, and if you're really steeped in it, um, it's kind of hard to shake it. That's, That's just your lens for seeing the world. Um, I think there are lots of reasons to um, watch Jesus break that down and dismantle that in the Gospels. But I have not personally had lengthy discussions with those who are still believers in that system. I just know I've come out of it. Um, But I think, Corey, if you read the book of Revelation, not only is there no word for what has been affectionately called the rapture, But there just is no indication at all, unless you are bringing that idea with you into the book of Revelation, there's just no idea at all that there's some magical point at which you're here. And, you know, John has exhorted you, right? He's exhorted the churches in chapter two and three. Oh, wait, but once they've been exhorted, they're no longer in the book. And and that does such destruction to the book of Revelation, because John just explained all of the categories that you and I are supposed to think in when we read the rest of the book. I mean, he describes lampstands right. and shining in the dark. He describes, you know, the 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 Jezebel, who is the image of a prostitute and a whore, which shows up in chapter 18 and chapter 17. He deals with churches who are being killed for their faith. We'll take a look at chapter 11 in Revelation or chapter 12 or chapter 13 or chapter 14. Like he's giving us all the lenses through which to understand what it means to be a faithful witness in the world. And instead of simply saying, you're being killed by the Jews who don't like your new Christian position, he then repaints that same description as a horrific beast who is wielding power in Rome and in the hearts of unfaithful people who want to conquer or want to destroy the Christians. And the Christians are those who follow the Lamb, who conquered by allowing death to defeat him, and in so doing, defeated death. And so he's calling his followers to faithfully embody that reality in the world, and he is simply describing it in fantastical, creative imagery, because this is all very heightened. And he's saying, if, if I pull the cover off of this, you're going to see it for what it really is. And instead of seeing government, which is like people who meet in a building and who enact laws and try to protect people, what you're going to see is that sometimes those things under the surface, if lives are being ruined and not saved or lives are being destroyed and not protected, you can know that the destroyer of our souls is behind that. It's not people. It's an enemy which is why I think Jesus can pray on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, he's literally asking the Father to forgive the very people who are putting him to death because he hears in their accusations, you know, hey, come down off the cross if you're the Son of God. And if you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. He's hearing the same accusations he heard from the serpent in the wilderness. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He hears it on their lips. They're just voicing the concerns or the, uh, you know, the mindset of Satan himself. And when that's the case, Jesus knows people are caught in this. And so I think revelation is a big book showing us revealing to us, right? Unveiling the truth of Jesus and what his coming kingdom means in the real world and what it would look like in the real world to follow this Jesus. And we have a lot of questions, man. Like, how many times have you heard, who's at fault? You know, if God really loved us, why would he send this coronavirus? Or, oh, this coronavirus is because of the Chinese government. Or this coronavirus is started in a lab by somebody who wants to get rich, and the whole political system in our country is in collusion together. Have you heard stuff like this, or is it just me? No, I I have a friend who has a special affinity for
1: um what are they called conspiracy theories oh, and sure. we yep. we had a talk the other day i was actually at the hospital with one of the kids and uh yeah he was like well actually the guy who owns this thing owns whatever and guess what else and it's and i'm like hey you know what bro like uh if if you're right it was a terribly poorly executed plan. Like if anyone's getting rich <laughs> off this, uh, they, they they executed it really poorly and they opened the door for a lot of other crooks who are doing like cyber covid crime and uh, you know just uh, poor poor execution. So even your theory is is weird, but yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious too. Okay. So um when when most of us laymen uh, go and read the book of Revelation, we encounter fantastic images: giant horned beasts with eyes, and uh, you know, smoke and fire, and scrolls and seals and peals of thunder, um, fantastic and frightful images. And what we can either do is uh, you know, Gog and Magog and world nations and bears and is that Russia and all this other stuff. Uh, what we can either do is look around to find out what kind of phenomenon might make sense of this image in our world. So what, what could it be? Uh, and, when we're, and which, which leads you always reading and then always asking like, okay, how could this fit into that could the, could the antichrist be barack obama could the antichrist be ronald reagan both uh, people have suggested both right um, um and then you're always kind of i actually heard one dispensationalist uh, professor say like because the devil doesn't know when god is coming back there's always an antichrist figure on deck a specific like this person is ready to be the antichrist and then I guess when that guy gets too old in the devil's mind he gets replaced like the devil's kind of like keeping somebody on deck but anyway um, I'm kind of getting away from the question here but you, so the the reality is when we read those we can either have a specific image in mind or like kind of an open-ended image could be this could be this but I'm looking around for this kind of thing or where, where I think you'll probably go is we we, we can have some kind of connection to the old Testament um, and a loose uh, sort of poetic connection with some of these images. The, I guess the question is I've heard one dear sweet old saint when I talked to him and suggested that a lot of this stuff is actually symbolic and not literal, you know, the, the old rule of thumb, everything is literal unless it has to be symbolic. Um, right. But the old, uh, Symbolic versus literal, and, and you know, he said, "Well, like, then, couldn't it just mean anything? You know, and, and kind of like, are there no rules? And so, I, I think that probably your listeners are compelled by your descriptions and your interpretations, but the question still remains: like, then, then, are there are there kind of no rules? Are we all, are or how do we develop the impulse? For for understanding those rules of interpretation.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I, I want to preface it by saying, sure, um, the moment you do say it's it's um, you know, symbolic, let's let's be honest with everyone. Yeah, the moment we say that, we are opening ourselves up to whose interpretation then gets to win the day. And I think that that's also welcome to biblical interpretation, right? So most people don't know that they're bringing a lot of assumptions to the table when they try to interpret a passage of Scripture. And so um, your your point, though, is very, very good. We have to use the Old Testament. So John, it's funny, John isn't just writing a letter— um, and it doesn't, I don't think it's just unique that his letter happens to be the last one in our Bibles. I mean, I really do see Revelation as culminating everything that's been spoken about prior to this point. Um, and so the, the, the controls, right? Anything goes, well, no, it's not anything goes. Um, our lack of understanding of the flow of the Old Testament is what hinders most people from having any clue what to do with what they find in Revelation. So, I mean, let me just give you one example. Okay, so in Revelation 1, um, it says it's describing one like a son of man who's standing in the middle of a bunch of lampstands. And we know from Daniel chapter 7 and from Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself in the Gospels, I'm not sure if people know this, but Jesus never calls himself the son of God. He only ever calls himself the son of man, which that's a fun discussion all by itself. But Um, the Son of Man was this description of some divine person who's going to ascend on the clouds up to the Ancient of Days, which was a way of describing the Lord God himself, who was going to receive a kingdom from the Ancient of Days, a kingdom that would never end. And so when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, all the Jews knew what he was saying there. In fact, when Jesus says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to the Pharisees, that's when they pick up stones to stone him. Like they know who he's claiming to be and they don't like it. And in Revelation 1, John has a vision of this son of man standing in the middle of lampstands. Now these are not golden candelabras from the temple. Later in chapter one of Revelation, John tells us that the lampstands are churches. And so we automatically have an indicator that this is symbolic. When you see a lampstand, it's it's a church or it's a group of Christians. But Jesus, it says that when John looks at him, it says, in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, I grew up in a context that, I mean, people drew pictures of this stuff, like, Jesus literally has this right. like four foot blade of steel coming out of his mouth. Like, I mean, talk about how hard would it fire be? Fire hair and fire, yeah, fire eyes. Hair and fire hair and fire eyes. Right, right, right. And and again, we kind of snicker and it's funny, but it this is an apocalypse, right? It's a revealing. So what is that revealing? What is it unveiling when you have a sword coming out of someone's mouth? Well, you think swords are used for like slaying people, cutting them down. So are Jesus's words like cutting people down? Well, let's think about Jesus's words when he spoke them in the gospels. He said that my words bring life. I only speak what the father tells me. And the father has revealed himself as loving and compassionate. And yet we know it from Hebrews that the author there says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes or the intentions of the heart. Now, if Jesus's words speak in such a way as Jesus is called in John 1, the word of God himself, if Jesus's life and his words speak these kinds of things, then we know that a sword coming out of his mouth may indicate a reference to to the fact that his words can either penetrate to the heart or to those who reject his words, they might be cause for, for judgment. And so you say, okay, well then does Jesus just speak judgment or does Jesus wield judgment? You know, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to deal with his enemies. And the question I want to ask is how, how does he deal with his enemies? Because in John chapter 12, and I'll, so I'll add this to my discussion of the old Testament, these, controls or parameters that i think we need are not just what does the old testament say but what did jesus say when he was here that's a good point that's a good point let me read us right go ahead
1: no no i'm just saying that it's not that there's no rules and that like okay well anything goes like anything could be this you know seven-horned eight-eyed uh bear coming out of the sea but there's the old testament and there's jesus start with start with those and start with what, yeah, you start will, with yeah you
0: will have you'll have the bumpers on the bowling alley there yeah that's right so let me read you a passage that jesus in john 12 starting in verse 44 it says jesus cried out and said whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me and whoever sees me sees him who sent me i have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them. Okay, so, right, we know what it means to keep Jesus's words, but if we, if you hear him and you don't keep them, listen to what he says. I do not judge him. Well, that's odd. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus is the judge, right? He's going to come back on the white horse and he's going to knock it. But listen to what Jesus actually says. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge the word that i have spoken will judge him on the last day now we have a figure a son of man figure with a sword coming out of his mouth we know that the sword is oftentimes reference or is a reference to the word of god and it can pierce to the intentions of the heart And now Jesus is saying, I am not a sword-wielding person. I mean, we know the disciples wanted him to be that. I mean, Peter grabbed for a sword when Jesus was going to be arrested in the garden, and Jesus rebukes him. Um, Jesus says, I'm not coming to bring judgment like that. I speak the truth, and in the end, those who do not want the truth will be judged by my words. He has authority. He's not, you know, Corey, sometimes I wonder if, if real violence is not oftentimes rooted in fear. Um, we're just, we've got to come out swinging because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. Jesus isn't like that, man. He just totally stands in the truth and says, I am the truth. And then says, if you don't want that, I'm not here to inflict, you know, cruel punishment on you. You're You're going to be judged because you will literally decide to remain in the darkness and not come into the light. Any thoughts on that? What does that make no, sense?
1: That, that that's good. That's good. I I think that um, as I hear, you know, as I hear the the Book of Revelation and the um, the different images and the way Jesus. Uh, has his word right the word coming out of the mouth uh this is the judge this is the sword this is the thing that divides and we we do have all the material there it's just maybe it's just such a dramatic shift from those of us who kind of grew up in the world of left behind and Mm -hmm. uh yeah uh sorry trigger warning right you know i know you're i know you're over there twitching right but um no that's (laughs) but just such a dramatic shift from like okay well if two witnesses aren't two people proclaiming in the streets or what does it mean for the two witnesses to die and what do we do with the numbers and you know um i think that you know we could go issue by issue like numbers and images and symbols and like, okay, well, how do we understand this? And how do we understand that? And actually your podcast episodes are kind of doing that. They're marching through, plotting uh, piece by piece. Um, But uh, what, what it comes back to, you know, in terms of like today's episode, thinking about, okay, the COVID and the apocalypse, by and large, the answer to should these things make us think about the apocalypse? It's it's kind of yes and no. Uh, yes, any form of physical suffering is a manifestation of sin in general, of the curse on the world. <laughs> maybe or maybe not God's specific judging or cursing of any specific population, but how could we know that truly? Um, but it also is all part of... The challenge of living faithfully in a broken world right which is which is part and parcel of the message of revelation like how do we live faithfully how do we keep our lamps lit uh, and and stay faithful in the midst of a world that is opposing a world system the devil the flesh that is opposing us at every turn
0: right well let's think about this so You said, what does it mean to be faithful? And I would say, um, according to the New Testament, be faithful to what? And if the church is called to be witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom, then we are talking about being faithful to Jesus. We're we're talking about um, receiving his truth and his light deep into our own darkness. And as he transforms us there, we join him in graciously, compassionately, and lovingly reaching into the darkness in our world and trying to to shine light there to, as well. And so I, I want to go back to a passage in the Gospels, right? If I'm following Jesus, I've got to watch what Jesus did. And do you remember that scene in John 9 where there's a man born blind and Jesus is about to heal him? And and the disciples. Okay. So these are followers of Jesus. This is important because we're disciples and just a side note, you ought to try to see yourself in the disciples when you read the gospels, if you're a Christian, because they're the model of sometimes what not to do and what they're doing, but they're trying to follow him. Their question to Jesus is who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Um, I think it's not too far of a stretch to say today, our question, unfortunately, in churches has been whose fault is the coronavirus, the Chinese or the government? Is this a conspiracy? Who's doing it? That's and I would say point. if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus, we've got to respond to questions. First of all, we ought not to ask that question because the disciples, Jesus redirects them. What does he say? it's not that this man sinned or his parents that he was born blind but that the works of god might be displayed in him now we've got to hang on jesus's words cuz he's the one we're trying to be faithful to he never addresses their concern the disciples are very 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 interested as are all humans in wanting to know whose fault is this and jesus blows right past that question Because the issue isn't whose fault is it. The issue is someone is suffering, and I'm afraid that we've lost that today. Um, We're not interested. It's not that we're not interested in who's suffering, but goodness, do we want to sit around for days and days and days and just talk to people about whose fault this is, or do we want, as the church, as the embodiment of Jesus, now, right? We are His body to be looking for people who are actually suffering and want to reach out and to help them. And I feel like, um, what Jesus eventually does is he does, he heals a man who was born blind. And toward the end of the discussion, it's funny that the gospel writers don't just tell us the things Jesus did. They, they are teaching things along the way. And one of the things that are being taught, um, well, and let me read it because I'm going to misquote it if I, if I try to remember it, but He gets to the very end of the scene. And if you're familiar with that scene, I mean, Jesus creates all kinds of panic. Pharisees are ticked off because he's healing people on the wrong day of the week. He's, he's spending his time with the wrong people. They threaten, um, this man's parents. If they tell him, tell them that it was Jesus who healed the guy, they're going to kick him out of the synagogue. They're, you know, they're going to threaten him and they're threatening the man himself. If they claim Jesus did this miracle. And finally, he gets to the to the very end, and, and Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard him say these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. Corey, he's dancing all around this issue of apocalypsis. <laughs> he's dancing all around this issue of who thinks they see when they really don't, and who is blind but who actually can now see because he's just interacted with me. And I'm i am I'm sorry to say it this way. I, I don't mean any ill will, but I believe the more I read the Gospels, the more I think there are well-intentioned Christians who name the name of Jesus with their lips, but who are extremely blind in the way that they view the world. And I do not say that because I do not like Christians. I say it because Jesus had to address some of the same stuff when he came. He was speaking to a culture of religious elite who literally saw themselves as better than the rest of the world because of their knowledge of the Bible because of their faithfulness to him, because of their love for the laws of God and how earnestly they desired to keep them. And they were so fixated on that, that they missed the point of that. And that was to be compassionate and to pour out the love of the father on, the, on a broken world. And even the disciples got caught up in it. And we're like, "Who sinned? Whose fault is it? Why are we doing this, Corey? Like, why, why are we obsessing about this? Jesus calls us to faithfully witness to him, not faithfully witness to his coming, that he's coming back and he's going to judge you and he's going to throw you in hell if you don't trust him. He means witness to him. Like there are people in our world who don't see and they want to see. There are people in our world who can't walk and they want to walk. There are people in our world who are burdened with fears and anxieties and sickness and are facing death or who have already lost someone who has died, what do they need? And are we able to offer something like that to them? Or are we looking for something else that's completely irrelevant to our time and to our age? Again, I I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's, um, misguided all the same.
1: Yeah. It's kind of that, um, uh, I guess like that, uh, sweet by and by and, um, um yeah. Uh, one day maybe, uh, things will change rather than, uh, God is, uh, indwelling his people. and right. They are bearing witness to his word and his presence to a world, uh, that doesn't see it. That doesn't get it. They don't see. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay, so I I had a couple of other questions. One, uh, this is a side tangent, but uh, some of what you said reminds me of. I don't know if you have you ever read. I think his name is like James Davison Hunter. He's got a book called. Um, let me see. I think I think, it, I think it's called To
0: Change the World. Have you ever read that or heard of that? I. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I have not read it.
1: I think he's like a UVA guy a university of virginia dude and scholar and stuff like that and and kind of the gist of the book is like hey culture wars don't work historically you can demonstrate that like the hey let's get out there and zealous youth like we're gonna change the world and blah 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 and he's like actually no that's really just not the way it happens world change (laughs) usually comes from circles and centers of power those places that have cultural power uh and cultural capital you know for example like the new york times has more cultural capital than the boston globe and way more capital than the virginia pilot you know and so and uh, real cultural change typically comes uh from upstream and trickles downstream and so for the church their job has never been to make a culture war and go change the world but to be a faithful presence. And then he kind of defines what he means talks about faithful presence. Anyway, faithful presence, as opposed to world change, total side tangent. Maybe we'll both go reread that book and uh, our minds will be blown, but I, it sounds um, great to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So sorry to throw that in, but, um, I think that maybe one other thing than if, um, if we're looking for symbol, if we're looking for connection to the Old Testament, if we're looking for um, imaginative uh, depictions of present realities, um, then at, at what point or at what points uh, does Revelation, should the book of Revelation, point the church to something because I think we rightly, you know, grab the last couple of chapters and like a hey, new heavens and new earth and and the return of Christ and the, like yes like the, these things are coming and so um, if 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 I've understood you correct and the you know a lot of these present realities are depicted apocalyptically um, at what point or points should we say now this here this is actually depicting a future reality. Is there, are there specific things there that our readers can, uh, listeners can, can
0: think about? Absolutely. So the, the best way I've come to understand this is that what happened in, um, the resurrection of Jesus was most people knew that at the end of time, people are going to be raised and the righteous will go to an everlasting glory and the, the, the unrighteous will go to punishment. Um, they, they believe that as the resurrection. Well, when God chose to resurrect somebody in the middle of the world, he sort of said that the end, the end verdict that we're all anticipating, I've actually brought it into the present. And so I can alter your present reality such that it will mirror that future reality. And so it, the Bible, you know, some scholars call this the already, but the not yet. And what that mm-hmm. means is, when Jesus offers people eternal life, right? We we tend to think of that almost as if like it's entirely future. He's going to give me eternal life. That's where I'm going to go to heaven at the end. But in John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus seems to say that if you have intimate knowledge of God and his son, you have life, And that life is eternal because it begins now and it never ends. So there's always a present and a future reality that are merged in the minds of Jesus and in the minds of his followers, such that one continues on into the next indefinitely. Okay. So if you take that idea in mind, then anytime we're talking about present exhortation, right? uh, Present growth as a Christian, present activity as a worshiping community, present um, tense as drawing upon the the grace of Jesus for daily living or um, drawing upon his strength to root out darkness in our own hearts. All of that is done now in anticipation of a perfect future when none of that stuff will be a struggle, like we'll be prepared for the place we're actually going. And so when you get to Revelation, there are sprinkled all throughout these promises of what it's going to be like in the end without really saying the end. Um, You know, in revelation seven, for instance, in the, in the second half of the chapter, this is both a picture of some of the types of experiential realities that could be deep in the hearts and souls of believers. But this is also a description of like our everlasting rest when, when all of this difficulty and struggle and fight is behind us. But listen to these verses. I mean, therefore, oh, it says, um, who are these who are clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And, and he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's great in my mind. That's so and, and I think what's so good about it is that we all, we don't, we don't have to look for literal things. Like, is he gonna draw us along What what we see there? <clears throat> no more burning heat of the sun. Like that's not just getting a sunburn you know, the book of Jeremiah talks about we dry up in the sun internally if our hearts aren't aren't softened, you know, if they're not molded in the right way before God. And so um, in the first few chapters of Revelation, he offers to the churches these exhortations to remain faithful. And then he says to them, to the one who conquers, I will, and he lists things. I'll grant them to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, or I will give him the crown of life. Um, and no one will be able to take it away from him. I will clothe him in a white robe. At the end, and you can go read those on your own, and I would encourage anyone to do that. Go read the last verse or so of every address to these different churches. There's always a promise of something that they will receive if they trust him. Well, all of those promises are fully revealed at the end of the book, but they're also sprinkled throughout as describing these kinds of people. Like here, they're described as people who are wearing white robes. But notice how the robes are made white. They're made white in the blood of the lamb. Now you show me a garment that can be made white when it's dipped in blood. And I'll show you a book that's meant to be taken literally. Like, you know, that that's a beautiful image, right? <laughs> it's a picture. But, what, but does that mean, are my sins washed away now? Yes. So that's a present reality now, And yet in the end, the way John chooses to describe this is this is going to be you. You're going to be clothed with this. And it's just a beautiful image. And so one encouragement based on your question I would give to readers would be this. We're so interested in what's future, what's now, what's not. That's really irrelevant to John. John is interested in revealing Jesus. And so let's take John up on his offer. He says, blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So if we're blessed for reading this out loud and hearing it and keeping what's in it, then we know for one, that there's a lot through this book that we're supposed to keep. So not just what you see in the first several chapters, but all throughout, but I would get a pen and paper and I would go through the book and say, how is Jesus being revealed? What kind of images are used to describe him? What kind of language is used to describe him? Does this remind me of anything else that I've read in the Bible or anything else that Jesus has said? Because I think, Corey, we we need to approach Revelation with the context and background of the Bible in order to know what Revelation is talking about. From there, we could try our best to apply it outwardly. But sadly, many people reverse that process. They start with what's outward. I see locusts. I see viruses. I see vaccines. And they take those ideas now that that completely separated from the Bible. I mean, anybody can have those views because those are realities in our world. They take those views and they push them back into the Bible. Why? Why? Because those ideas are significant to us, but they make our significance become what the Bible must mean. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, and it's a very irresponsible thing to do. Meaning, John meant something by what he wrote. He meant something. Meaning is what the communicator intends you to receive by what they say. That's right. But what I what what is relevant to me, or what is, um, you know, my experience, how I receive? I just lost my word. It was meaning and, and um, huh? I just lost it. That's crazy. Significance. Um, significance. Thank you. Wow, that um. I just totally went blank. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> significance, right? So I I will listen to you say something. And I tend not to listen to everything you say. I will listen and latch on to whatever I hear you say that I think is significant to me. <laughs> That's what makes us poor listeners. And, and I, I stole this from the Bible Project too. They were having a great discussion about this, and I loved it, is that meaning is what John intends to communicate. Significance is often what we hear when we listen to what John writes. And sadly, if our significance, if we're looking for the Bible to be significant, or if the looking for the Bible to be relevant, you know, well, Jesus said this was going to happen. And now it's happening. This is proof that Jesus is smart and he's right. And you need to listen to him. That's us imposing significance into the Bible. Instead of asking, what did Jesus mean? What did John mean? And man, if we are not so eager to make the Bible relevant. Sometimes I feel like we do that because we want to feel better about ourselves, that the book we've given our lives to and the Jesus we've given our lives to is worth it. I don't think we have to do that. I think Jesus is worth it anyway, and he's come to give us life. But if we're not careful, why is it, Corey, that no one talks about the locust passages in Revelation until we see locusts in Africa? I, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, we're we're reversing this process, okay? There have been locust plagues throughout all of human history. This is nothing new. America is not unique because we see this happening now and we can put a finger on it with our grandiose Bible knowledge. Rather, what is John doing with that in the book? Why does he say it where he does and why does he explain it the way that he does? Because sadly, in Revelation, the locusts are explicitly told not to harm the grass or the trees or anything green. <laughs> now, I'm not a biology major or a or a zoologist or anything, but what I know about locusts is that's all they do. You can stand it. in the middle of a locust swarm and be unaffected unless you're grossed out by that kind of thing because only locusts go are. after greenery. But in Revelation, greenery is explicitly what they don't go after. So you you're like, "Wait a minute. What in the world?" Now, Again, if you want to get into Apache helicopters and all that, that's another discussion too. And I think that's goofy. But my point is – I shouldn't if have you, named my dog Greenery either. Uh, <laughs> Greenery, uh, is that even a word? Now I'm just rambling. <laughs> anyway, it, meaning and significance, I think, has been helpful for me, Corey. I mean I, I, I'm wanting to devote my life to understanding this, but not just to understanding it, but like, Jesus, what are you wanting to do in this world right. through your – your word through your presence among your people, and um, I, I would say that I think in large, and a large, a large portion of His people are are dropping the ball that they're not really reading this as it reveals Jesus. They're they're kind of quick trigger. Let's figure out what Jesus is predicting about the future. You know, Jesus. So much of Jesus is end time judgment language that we think when we hear Him talk in the Gospels. He was talking about, literally, like I said, about apocalypse. It's the end of the world as his people knew it. They were headed toward destruction with Rome, and in 70 AD, they were destroyed. Um, Their temple was burned to the ground. And a lot of the imagery that Jesus describes about the end, it happened to them. Not, Not like it doesn't mean it's not still coming, it does, but we need to understand it in terms of how could that be partially the end, and how could the end end? be partially related and i think that's what revelation is doing is it's trying to help us bridge that gap yeah. and take what we know of jesus bring him into our lives bring him into our world but recognize that john had a context too i mean he was writing to real churches dealing with real struggles if if and when we find ourselves in similar tricky spots we can take significance from the meaning of what he intended for those churches, but we're on dangerous ground and on a you know a, a bad footing if we take our significance and we force it into places that we otherwise don't pay any attention to um, in the Bible. Yeah. So, it, yeah,
1: to me it has always felt that way. Like if you ever hear you know advertisements of a prophecy Bible study or a prophecy conference, usually that's like code word for typical speculation like yeah let's sit around which is fun conversationally like if i could just sit around with some old man and drink coffee and smoke pipe and like wonder about the world i mean it's it's fun (laughs) it's the good stuff of good movies but it it just may not be in fact I'm, i'm pretty sure it is not um good bible interpretation as if the rest of the readers of the new testament from all time past up until now, could not have possibly understood it because that image was specifically talking about something that was going to happen thousands of years in the future. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think, if you know, to kind of put a bow on it here, you're saying it is not helpful or appropriate to bring world events to the book of Revelation, no matter how similar the language can be oh locus and locus oh you know war and war oh uh, blood in the water look now this water turned red or whatever um, it is not helpful to do that although those events might be part of the reality of living in a fallen and cursed world which is part of the thing that we need to persevere and bear witness to Jesus through that so but it's it's not helpful or appropriate to bring those events like COVID uh, to the Bible and say, "Ooh, wh- where do we see this event, this uh, global phenomenon uh, taking place in this in this old book here?" Uh, but rather, the book is about Jesus. It's about revealing him in the midst of this broken and uh, hurting world. Now, the, the if if we accept that, there are huge implications for how we read the rest of the book, how we uh, have read the book in the past, and oh, is the, you know millennials and tribulations and all those other things, and I think we can get to those. I think we have a whole additional uh, conversation about those. But I'm I'm curious if you have just any like final thoughts on uh, reading Revelation. Uh, and these troubling global events that often make us think, oh, Revelation, maybe it's happening. Any final thoughts on that?
0: Sure. So in the beginning of Revelation, there's this beautiful description of the Son of Man, who we know is Jesus. And in each of the addresses to the seven churches, John singles out one of those aspects of this vision to address with each church. And what that communicates to us is that there is something about Jesus that each of these churches needs to become a little more aware of in their own understanding, because their lack of understanding it or their failure to recognize that Jesus is each of these elements is directly leading to them struggling um, to maintain faithful witness, or it's showing that they've already given that up. And so I would say first and foremost, what we all need in the church is an increasingly deeper and richer view of who Jesus is. Um, our eyes have to be on Him, and sadly, that's tends to be what doesn't happen when our eyes are on all of the world events. So, um, my, my, I guess my my main thing would be to say, um, when you look at the first century, the time that John was writing, you know, John's governmental system was terrible. Like, I mean, we 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 have political arguments all the time today about whether we think partisan politics which partisan you know party can actually pr- produce the best government but that that occupies our time but in John's mind John wasn't asking the church to try to you know overthrow the roman government he's just like this is the reality we live in let's talk about it let's talk about what it would look like to live in this reality and so i think that's what we need to do as much as people are afraid that coronavirus means X, Y, Z, or, um, you know, the vaccine coming is going to be some mark of the beast. I mean, it, again, that's another lengthy discussion. And and I, I don't see things going that way. What I do see is Jesus claiming to be the truth. And he says, anyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And sadly, there is a lot of, there are a lot of things circulating today that are drawing in the hearts of even christians that are not true the you know the conspiracy theory ideas or the the speculation ideas what we need to keep in mind is in a world filled with instant access to every bit of knowledge you could ever have we have to ask is this leading us to be more faithful witnesses by occupying all of our times with this knowledge because jesus isn't calling us to be the exposers of conspiracy theories, like that's not what he's called the church to be, uh, much less become people who get caught up in them. Um, it's really sad, honestly. But but we're we're just feeding these parts of our lives that we think make life interesting, and they do make life interesting. Corey, I can't deny that. I mean, it's, it would be fascinating to sit around and talk with a bunch of old guys about what they think about different countries and world history and all that. But so what true. we're called, but it is, is sad it is sad because what's happening is it simply detracts right if revelation is a call for the church to be faithful witnesses in the world which i believe it is then what we when we aren't doing that or we aren't embodying the realities that jesus embodied when he was here but instead we're off in our own little comfortable rooms speculating about all this stuff that's like completely useless when it's all said and done um, the truth will out, right? That's what my wife always says to me. Like, if this is really true, it's going to bear out. Why, why, why do you need to figure that out? And again, nobody does because it's endless, man. I can't believe the amount of time it's taking. And, and I'm in a small church and there's so many differing views going on in our church right now about whether this is real or whether it's not. And, um, you know, the bishop of our diocese nearly died from coronavirus. And so this is real. But my question as a pastor and as a husband and a father and a friend, who is hurting and how can I help them? What in this time has revealed things that might've been hidden? Well, I'll tell you one thing that this has revealed is that those who are in positions of power and those who have a lot of money are doing just fine right now. And the poor and the homeless are, and the elderly are not. And if you were blind before this, that power structures are really unjust, you ought not to remain blind after this has been revealed. I'm looking around and I'm just saying, okay, so which side of this is the church going to be on? Are we going to be on the side of the powerful Mm. and those who are well off? Or are we going to look out and say, goodness sakes, The people that were hurting before this are hurting five times worse now. We have got to do something about that. Oh, man.
1: That is, I mean, that is a good point. And, like, I mean, (laughs) am I going to take my stimulus check and invest it in the stock market that's on sale? (laughs) Or am I going to give it to an organization like Samaritan's Purse that is building hospitals in the midst of the sickest places in the
0: world? You know, like, oh, that.
1: Now you're meddling Josh now you're meddling you're going from preaching to meddling <laughs> oh sorry sorry we'll
0: edit that part out
1: <laughs> no, I'm teasing man. That. that's great yeah that's right that's right yeah get that out of the conversation so well man that is that's so helpful um, it's helpful it's pastoral I can't wait to uh, first of all I feel like we have hours of side conversations ahead as we keep talking off the podcast about how these things are uh, developing and I I appreciate you letting me uh share in this conversation and and gain some understanding i've been curious about this kind of stuff and curious about how to answer people people come up to me i don't i mean i'm an army chaplain and so people come up to me hey chap you know what's up with this what's up with that and and it's like oh man the answer is no it's different but Dude, I've got a lot of work to get you up to speed on how and and when. So now I'll just email him this link and I'll just be like, "Hey, I got a buddy who's smart about this stuff." Um, but yeah, so not the one-to-one correspondence, but how do we faithfully bear witness to Jesus to it? Um, I think I think that's right. And and honestly, if you're wrong, then the little horn is probably North Korea. Just
0: just <laughs> by. <laughs> just, Night. Oh, I am so glad you told me that though. I will just, that's going to be in my back pocket. Just that's for right. Yep. Thank you. Just pencil that into your Bible, <laughs> you know, like North Korea, question mark, exclamation
1: point, question mark, exclamation point. Because, I love it. I love look, it. I'll get know, my
0: highlighter out. Yep. That guy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. And I'll be interview. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, call you up and we'll have a, something on your show and we'll, we'll talk about that. So. That's right. That's right. I know. I got to write that book and
1: get that podcast started, right? So, um, Well, thanks so much, my friend. Uh, This has been a joy to me. I think it's going to be joyful and helpful to your listeners as well. Um,
0: I enjoyed it, man. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed this too. As always, Corey, it's fun to just know we're recording our conversations, which I think will be helpful for people. So thanks for making it happen, buddy. Go love your family and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I will. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Well, if you've made it this far in the podcast, I want to congratulate you. You've just listened to two friends have a conversation that took over an hour. And maybe we raised some thoughts for you. Maybe we helped you. Maybe we didn't. Um, But what we are trying to do and what I'm always trying to do on this podcast is to begin conversations. I want Christians to be among those in our world who are deep thinkers and who don't just um, reduce realities to simple platitudes or simple statements. Um, But we really do the hard work of thinking through issues and how we will respond faithfully to them. And so I'm hoping that that's what this was for you. This was nothing more than the beginning of a conversation. It's a launching point to potentially help you to engage others in conversation, because that's really what this is all about. And so if you found any of this helpful, let's say even just stimulating or, okay, there are other people who are wrestling through the implications of what this might look like, share this episode all by itself with a friend and start a conversation there between you and someone else. Share this episode with someone that you've already gotten into conversations with. And maybe if you found it helpful, um, you'll be able to use some of these themes in your own conversations. As always, I am—I would welcome feedback. That this one may generate some questions, it may generate some disagreement. That's great. But you can email me at unbindingthebible@gmail.com, at and I would love to interact with you. I'd love to receive some comments or some feedback or some things that maybe I've not considered. I don't have all of this figured out, but the approach that I'm taking is one that I believe is very rooted in who jesus is what he said he actually fulfilled when he came as well as the relationship by what are some of the things we're still looking for him to fulfill at some point yet future for us and so i'm hoping that you are engaging thoughtfully with your culture with your friends asking good questions listening longly to their responses so that you get to understand the heart of people i really do think that's one of the keys that the church desperately needs today is we need to be a place filled with good listeners and those who can help others um, navigate their worlds well. So thanks, Corey, for helping me do that. And thank you all for your interaction with me on this podcast as well. Have a great week.